from the Credit Union National Association, this is the CUNA News Podcast. Credit Union people. Credit Union ideas. Welcome to the CUNA News Podcast. I'm Assistant Editor Brock Fritz, and I gathered all three CUNA economists together for a deep dive into the 2023 economy. I took a step back while Mike Shank, Lee Givado, and Dewey Cabeda discussed a series of topics that will impact credit unions and consumers across the United States over the next year. Are they expecting a recession? Will inflation continue? Have supply chain issues eased? What's the lending outlook? What are signs of optimism? It's a perfect time of year to dive into all those questions as we turn the calendar on a new year, new financial goals, and a new economic landscape. Spend some time with us to see where everything stands in the new year, and we'll continue to check in with The Economist throughout 2023. Visit the economic data portion of CUNA.org for the monthly economic updates, in which Shank, Cabeda, and Vado look at the latest economic factors. But first, let's get to our interview with The Economists. So we've got all three CUNA economists here with us today, and we're mostly going to let them talk through the 2023 economy, um, factors that are going on, a little look at last year, but then just looking ahead at what to expect from the year ahead. First, why don't we just start with introducing each of you so people can get an idea of who's who. Mike, want to get started? Yeah, so I'm Mike Shank. I'm CUNA's chief economist, and I've been with the organization for 30 years. Prior to being at CUNA, I did some consulting in the mutual fund industry and also spent a decade working in the savings and loan industry. We're, we're here employed by CUNA to be advocates, to support the advocacy efforts of the organization, to provide data that improves the narratives that we have that, that drive policies that credit unions are interested in either advancing or curtailing. And we also dabble a little bit in the in the comms space. So we do a lot in terms of press releases and that kind of thing on economic variables that the government releases from time to time. And we also interact both with the popular and the trade press on issues of interest to consumers. Great. Why don't we have Liji go next? Hi, Brooke. Thanks for inviting us. My name is Liji Vado. I am a senior economist here at CUNA. I have been here for a year, but before this role, I was an analyst, an insights and analytics analyst at CUNA Mutual Group. And before that, I worked on a lot of research and policy analysis for the World Bank. I'm excited to be here. I am, I have passion for credit unions and we're trying to drive some changes and excitement on data sharing and the new stories that, you know, of the credit union impact. All right. Thank you and welcome. Uh, Dawit, why don't you round us off? Thank you. My name is Dawit Cabeda. I'm Senior Economist here at CUNA. And it's been a year and a half since I joined this wonderful organization. Before that, I worked for three years at CUNA Mutual doing data science and analysis for different businesses, consumer sales channel of the life insurance program, and also investors guidance center of the retirement program. And prior to that, I spend my career life at research institutions and academic institutions. All right. Thank you all. Uh, we really appreciate you joining. Most of this is going to be looking forward, but first let's kind of look back at 2022. Mike, why don't we start with you again? What are kind of your main takeaways from this past year? 
Yeah, I would say that 2022 was a year of surprises. There were a couple of, in particular, a couple of exogenous shocks that that really came to the forefront and affected our outlook over a pretty long period of time. Uh, The first, of course, was the big surge in COVID cases, the Omicron variant, which when we were looking forward into 2022, we didn't anticipate that surge. And so after nailing down our initial 2022 forecast, we quickly had to pivot and and sort of recast that view. Uh, That was one of them. The other one, of course, was in February when Russia started its war against Ukraine. Again, not something that we had baked into our initial forecast. And both of those things were very, very consequential, contributed greatly to persistently high inflation throughout the year. And that was, of course, in spite of the Federal Reserve's pretty aggressive approach to policy, raising the the Fed funds interest rate by 425 basis points during the year. So yeah, that, that inflationary environment was uh, last a lot longer than we anticipated, and, and and that was pretty impactful. The really interesting thing is that against that backdrop, the labor market was really pretty healthy, gained many new jobs, and the unemployment rate actually finished the year at 3.5%, which is right where it was pre-pandemic. So from that perspective, I think the economy performed well, and actually from a growth perspective as well. We had pretty strong growth in both the third quarter. We haven't, we don't have data for the fourth quarter yet, but when all is said and done, I'm guessing that fourth quarter data will show that the economy has grew at a rate of exceeding 3%, which is above the long run average rate. So all in all, it was, it, it didn't go the way that we thought it was going to go, but given, given the extreme shocks, I, I think things turned out a little bit better than we anticipated. All right. Either of you have anything to add that you, just we'll kind of remember about the past year or anything that stood out to you? Yeah, I think one thing maybe just to add on on the, the successful completion of the labor market overall, Mike mentioned, is that, yes, you know, overall, we have added like 4.5 million jobs, like employers have added 4.5 million jobs. But when you look at it, like from individual's perspective, the, you know, that's like 3.2 million people throughout the 2022 you know getting employed that's that's really impressive you know despite all those difficulties but again uh nominal wage growth have been increasing faster than previous years and when you look at it from you know inflation point of view it may be because inflation is higher than real wage increase but if you look at the data by different income groups the bottom two quartile groups of the the, the population have were able to have a positive real wage gain throughout the year. So that that's really impressive and very important because consumers are a very important part of the economy. All right. Thank you. Any anything else to add, Liji? Well yes, I would say that these these past three years have been unprecedented, right? I mean We've experienced external external shocks that are mostly, you know, we've had we've had a war and we had a, a global pandemic, and, and and that has affected our supply chains and and created the super high inflation. But what is more impressive, I think, is the the fast recovery of the U.S. economy. The unemployment rate reached fourteen percent at the at the first peak of the of the pandemic in you know February March of twenty twenty. 
and it quickly recovered. And now we're at 3.5, 3 3.7, 3.5%. So that's very impressive, even though there's a lot of critique on the on, on policies. I mean, the government did good with monetary and fiscal policy to kind of avoid a catastrophe as a result of these shocks. So then looking ahead, you all mentioned some of the unexpected things that happened in 2022. Uh, Dewey, what concerns you most about the economy right now? Yeah, so some of the concerns in the future of looking into 2023 are a continuation of the, the points that we mentioned in 2022. The two most important consequential events, I would say, are inflation and the Fed's fight to bring inflation down to its target level. So as we have seen throughout 2022, you know, inflation reached historic levels since, you know, the 1980s in several decades. And this is caused by, you know, imbalance in demand and supply for goods during the pandemic. And because of the conflict in Ukraine, energy and food prices have skyrocketed. And, you know, as we go back into normal getting out of the, the, the pandemic mode, a shift in demand from, you know, goods service to services has increased the price of housing, the price of travel, recreation. So all those contributed to the, the record level inflation. And we are still in a high inflation environment. And the Federal Reserve, rightly so, is committed to bring this inflation down to 2% from where it is now, 7.1, around 7.1. And in, in, and then that's why the Fed has implemented one of the fastest and the largest rate increases in, in nine months. So right now we have, you know, signs of cooling inflation, you know, gas prices are down. Rents for housing are also falling down, even though the, the, the rent price that we see in inflation is a lagged indicator, but current market uh, prices indicate prices are falling. And the supply chain conditions are also improving and wage increases are also slowing down. So these, all these indicate that, you know, inflation is cooling down, but the Fed in its previous meeting indicated that, you know, it's committed to bring this high inflation down and it will continue to raise rates. So my concern is that, you know, the Fed may go you know, you know, far from, you know, or beyond bringing inflation down, and it may slow down the economy. So that's my concern. I'll just piggyback on that briefly. I think, you know, the, the real important thing to remember is that the Fed has acted aggressively, but those actions don't have an immediate effect. There's always a lagged effect. And and I think that's what we was getting at. You know, we, we haven't seen the entire effect play out and the danger is that the fed continues to do what it's been doing and and just overdoes it so that's kind of a macro view of of my big concern beyond that i would say that you know when what the fed is trying to do is slow the economy down they've announced that their terminal unemployment rate is in the neighborhood of four and a half percent you know that, that basically is an indication that they intended from the time that they announced that until we reach terminal unemployment that that they believe that they're going to put you know another million and million and a half folks out of work and so the the real my real concern is that whenever we have an economic slowdown the people that get hit the hardest and get hit first are the people that can ill afford that can least afford to be in that situation so generally frontline workers lower income workers are the first to pay the price in an economic downturn and and that's a, a real concern you may have seen that there's data from the financial health network that came out in the last couple of months that shows that for the first time in the history of that organization's tracking of financial health, we actually saw a decline in financial health amongst people who live in America. 
So, you know, the, the trend is sort of not with us at the moment in terms of uh, everybody's, you know, the, the household sector's overall health. And this this bodes ill, I think, for, for what we're maybe going to encounter as we go forward. What's encouraging to you about the economy right now? Later, we'll dig into some more of the specifics about things that have been mentioned. Well, our expenditure is, is still strong. Our demand accounts for 70% of economic growth. So as long as, as consumers keep demanding and consuming, the economy is going to keep growing. And, and so that's optimistic. So there's a lot of pent-up demand and a lot of excess savings that consumers have that can still consume. Maybe they won't spend all of it, but but a good chunk of it. There's still around 1.7 trillion in excess savings. So that can still fuel economic growth and prevent a hard landing of, of tightening monetary policy. So this gives me hopes. And uh, that's on the on the on on the on the consumer side, on the consuming and demanding side of of the spectrum. Also, if we look at the other side of of the balance sheets, we see that the, the, the levels of debt has haven't been so high, you know, on in a his, in a historical perspective, and debt payment services are still low comparatively with like the heights that the economy reached in 2007, 2008 still in, in a very low range. So we're sorry, in good shape in, in terms of debt so far. So yeah, if, if you have consumers that have a lot of a lot of money, good assets and low debt, you know, that gives me some hopes and good prospects that we can achieve. Or if, if we actually reach a recession of the economy has a recession, it will be mild. It won't be as strong as, as in other periods. Yeah, that's obviously always a positive when the consumers are doing pretty well. So that's good to hear. Anyone else have anything to add about optimism? Yeah, I'll just throw out three things that immediately come to mind for me. The the job market is is strong. Employment opportunities are obvious just about everywhere you look. Uh, the recent JOLTS report showed that there are 1.7 job openings for every person that's looking for work at the moment. And that's near an all-time high. So that's hopeful. I also, you know, look to, uh, on the demand side of the equation, there's, there continues, it, it seems to me, continues to be quite a bit of pent-up demand in the marketplace. And uh, especially, you know, when we think of big ticket items, and especially in the automobile arena, which is obviously very important for credit unions. There are a lot of folks that had, were on the sideline during the COVID crisis. The supply chain issues were glaring in that market, and we haven't worked our way all the way through it. But as we do, I think a lot of that demand will be expressed, and, and that should be helpful from an economic standpoint. There's there's no question about that. So a couple things there that I think could be really impactful and helpful. You know, actually, I mentioned one other thing. During the COVID crisis, there was really a large inflow into savings accounts in the consumer sector. And over the course of the last year or so, some of that has been used up. So the excess savings has come down pretty significantly, but it's still obvious in the household sector. People have more savings at the moment than they did pre-pandemic. And if there is a bit of a hiccup, that that could be especially helpful in terms of softening the blow. Good. Well, I guess let's get to the potential hiccup. Um, the word recession has been used for a year or so now, every once in a while. 
are we anticipating a recession? And then I guess what determines the level and the severity? As I mentioned at the outset, I've been at CUNA for 30 years. And our most recent forecast, which we penned in October of 2022, for the first time in my 30-year presence here at the organization, for the first time, our baseline forecast reflects the idea that we will have a recession in 2023. We believe it's going to be a mild and short-lived recession if it happens, but that doesn't mean it won't be impactful. So that's important. We do think the economy will be slowing. And I should probably say, you know, it's important for people to understand what, what do we mean when we say recession? Now, a lot of folks that I talk to say, oh, it sure feels like we're in a recession today. Economists, I don't think, would uh, would say that we're in a recession. In fact, the academic economists that, that call recession, or, or economic turning points, I should say, define recession as a significant turn down in economic activity that lasts for more than a couple of months, and that's sort of broad-based. And so, you know, you can't, we can't look at the labor market today with a three and a half percent unemployment rate and really significant job gains that we described and conclude that 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 is a recessionary environment. It simply isn't. And at no point, I, I don't think in the future, will those academic economists look at this historical data that, you know, what we've just lived through and say, oh, yes, a recession started late in 2022 or early in 2023. I don't think that'll happen. So it's not here. And it's certainly possible that we can sidestep it. But we do expect the Fed to have to do something somewhat significant from a policy perspective to see those inflation numbers come down. Okay. And I know there's not like an exact time frame for anything, but when you say potentially a shorter in, in recession. What's that look like? Less than a year? Or what's the time frame for what would be considered mild? Yeah, well, if I'm not mistaken, we just lived through the shortest recession on record during the COVID crisis. So that was just a couple months. Some people use the rule of thumb that a recession is, is it two consecutive quarters, right, of economic downturn. You know, we don't necessarily use that. But we're thinking, I think, I'm not mistaken, in, in our discussions that we had back in October, that there would be a short-lived affair, meaning, you know, maybe a quarter or a little bit more than a quarter. But but again, pr- pretty shallow and not yeah. impactful, like from a broad historical perspective, as we yeah. look at that recessions. I don't know, do we, do you yeah. want to? Yeah, so I think if you go more? back in history and then track, you know, the, the average number of months that a recession lasts is, is 10 months. That's going back, you know, as far as, you know, the data is available. Uh, so we, we believe that this recession, if it happens, is going to be much lower than that. That's my, I think, which is consistent with what Mike is saying, you know, a quarter or a little bit higher than that. Okay. Yeah, that's good to hear. And thank you. Liji, for the inflation aspect of things, are signs pointing to continued infl- inflation? I know we mentioned the goal of lowering it. So... Where's that kind of stand right now? Yeah, so so we saw inflation peaked. It, it peaked at around nine nine one percent in September last year, twenty twenty two, and now it has been slowly going down. It reached seven point one in December last year, and target inflation. The Fed wants you know to bring down inflation to to around two two point five percent. That's kind of what, what what is reasonable for like a stable path of equilibrium for the economy. 
And so what we're seeing is that inflation is slowing down very, very slowly, right? A very at a very low rate. And we are forecasting that next year inflation is going to end at around or this year inflation is going to end at around 4.5 percent probably in 2024 we will see inflation reaching our target levels of around 2.5 percent and this is considering considering the policy lag of all these interest rate hikes and and how long it takes the economy the economy to respond and to adjust so looking at lending our forecasts changed throughout last year and it's kind of a unexpected year as far as that goes. What's the outlook for 2023 at this point, knowing that things can obviously change? Well, if, if the Fed is successful in, in uh, from a policy perspective, those rate increases should reduce spending and borrowing. That's reflected in our current baseline forecast. So we have a forecast of 18% loan growth in 2022. So that's a bit of a look backward, but we don't have data from the NCUA yet that shows exactly what happened in 2022. We have survey data from our monthly credit union estimates, and that suggests that overall loan growth through November, year to date, November, was 18.2%, which is a little bit faster than we expected for the full year. We were thinking 18% for full year. So we know if those monthly credit union estimates are accurate, we're actually going to exceed our expectations last year. Going forward, those rate increases will have an effect on aggregate, should cause more people to head to the sidelines. And to the extent that labor markets start to show more significant weakness, that certainly will affect the consumer psyche and will cause people to be a lot more cautious than they have been in the recent past. Again, that's reflected in our in our current baseline forecast. We think that uh, overall loan growth for 2023 will fall from nearly 20% to only 7%. And that's that, that's exactly what the Fed wants to see. I mean, they're, they're not targeting credit union loan growth, obviously, but they do want to see a big decline in overall spending and spending on big ticket items, which require loans. But, you know, I mean, that's, that's not bad news necessarily. 7% puts us pretty close to being in line with long-run average increases in, in loans overall. So it's I wouldn't call it a, a, a rosy forecast, but it's in line with sort of long-term norms. Sure. How about some of those specific big ticket items? Housing prices have been pretty high for the last few years, and there's been a lot of demand. And then, I don't know, a year or so, maybe the rates have gone up a lot. What's that market looking like now, Dewey? Is it Still very competitive if you're trying to get a house? Uh, yeah, so if you look at, you know, data from, you know, Case and Schiller or the National Association of Realtors, you will see that, you know, average home prices have been increasing year over year. It, it, that was true in 2021, and it's still true today. Year over year, prices are still higher. But recently, you know, if you look at the month-to-month trend, and we are seeing a decline in home prices, and this is true for the last four months, you know, you know, as of October. So we have like data until October, and we've in house price month-to-month has been declining, and this is because mortgage rates have exceeded almost seven percent at one point, and right now they are at six point five percent. That's the thirty-year fixed mortgage rate. So. Even though we are starting to see some sort of correction in terms of declining home prices, 
at 6.5%, mortgages are unaffordable for a lot of people. And this is particularly true for first home buyers. If you see, you know, the data from the national mortgage database and look at the interest rate locked in for existing homes, you see that 85% of people have a locked in interest rate below 5%. And these people are not going to buy a second house, you'll sell this one or buy a second house when right now rates are at 6.5%. So yeah, we will see some sort of price correction in housing as mortgage rates are very high, but right now it's still unaffordable for a lot of folks. Some people may go into this market hoping that they will refinance down the line and expecting that there is going to be a slowdown in economic activity and then rates will go down in the future. But we are seeing, you know, inventories going up because, you know, it's becoming unaffordable for a lot of people. With new builds, I mean, supply chain issues have affected that. Have those let up at all or, or is it still a lot of issues in the supply chain? So again, if there is this report that the New York Fed releases uh, every month, it's called the Global Supply Chain Pressure Index. And you look at that data and it was really going down throughout the year and actually approaching pre, you know, pre-pandemic historic levels. So this index is calculated based on, you know, looking at how much is the ocean shipping cost for, you know, transportation and also, you know, looking at supply chain related items for you know, from the purchaser managers index, how long is it taking to deliver items? What's the backlog or, you know, the stock, the purchase stock for manufacturing firms? And we are seeing a lot of improvement. We have seen a slight increase in this index in October and November because of, you know, the lockdown in China when COVID cases rose, but it starts to decline again in December. And again, it has something to do with China. China has relaxed its pandemic restrictions now. So I, we believe, like I believe that this thing will go back to its pre-pandemic level in 2023, you know, in terms of, you know, global supply chain conditions. If you also look at the LA port, that's really like one of the busiest ports in America. At the peak of the supply chain problem, it has a dwell time of almost 10, 11 days. So that's like the amount of time it takes for a ship to unload and then that, or it has to wait in the port. That has improved and now it's it's only three days on average. So it's like back to normal. So so I would say, yes, supply chain issues have eased, definitely. Liji, do you have something to add there? Yes, I, I thought it was interesting that China's government just kind of took a U-turn on, on policy and they they removed the, the lockdowns and they relaxed a lot of their policies. And that produces some positive prospects in, in the sense that we will have production, you know, at, at good levels or probably increasing and also flowing out and, and exporting to the, the rest of the world, including us. So that that kind of improves the, the supply chain issues that we were having. And at the same time, I'm seeing that there's an increase in the risk of COVID too, right? Because only one third of the elderly population in China is vaccinated. And this is a country that, you know, a lot of people live in multi-generational households. I mean, I don't know to what extent COVID is going to have 
you know, widespread impact because I know there are other treatments and other, you know, in other ways and more knowledge of the of, of the pandemic. But that can also be a, a possibility. Although China is projected to grow at a good level this year, around four percent, which is lower than the. 10% that, that the economy experienced 10 years ago, but it's still positive. And, you know, China's economy is, is so huge that they're demanding a lot. So that can actually help a lot of developed countries, right? Kind of keep a, a super hard landing. And this demand from China fueled by strong economic growth can potentially help countries too. Yeah, that's a good point. I I mean, COVID is kind of not as forefront as it was for a couple of years, but I assume it's still something you have to factor into all your forecasts, right? Yeah, hopefully not as strong as before, but it's still there. So since we were talking about the supply chain, that obviously impacted the new versus used car decisions and a lot going on in auto lending. Uh, Mike, I think you mentioned earlier that auto lending is obviously crucial to credit unions. So where are we in terms of that right now? My outlook for the auto lending arena generally is pretty good. And I think that, it, you know, 2023 will be a pretty decent year for credit unions. Uh, having said that, it, it's also clear in the data that credit unions are pretty slow to increase their pricing on automobile loans over the course of the last six months or so. I've seen much more aggressive increases recently. So a credit union pricing moving more in line with what we see at dealerships and in the auto finance market, generally at banks and so forth. And what that means, I think, is that some of the really strong origination data that that we recorded in 2022 will not be quite so obvious in 2023. I do think healthy growth will be, you know, sort of an earmark of of what we experienced though in 2022 in that arena. Uh, I, I wanted to just make a comment on the housing sector where, you know, I feel like while supply chain issues will not be as prevalent or as obvious in the manufacturing arena, we do have a real supply issue in housing. And that has less to do with the availability of raw materials and more to do with the availability of skilled workers. And uh, that's not something that changes quickly. So I think a, a number of the challenges aside from some of those raw materials challenges that that did exist in 2022 will be with us throughout 23 and that will put a cap on how many new houses we can bring to market and obviously will affect people's ability to get into housing as we look forward as well. Yeah, that's a good point. I guess a lot of these numbers aren't necessarily readily available to consumers unless they seek it out. But the stock market is. So I know it was down in 2022. Dewey, what are the signs going into 2023? Yeah, I guess you know, this is the one area maybe you know different economists will have you know different opinions about mm-hmm. the stock market. But you are right, the stock market, if we take, for example, the S&P 500 grew by 20, 16% in 2020 over 2019 and 27% in 2021. That's a very impressive and above both years and above average, you know, growth rates. And then in 2022, you know, high inflation, Fed policy tightening, it's down by 19%. So in my opinion, in our forecast, we have a mild recession built in and there could still be, you know, some room for correction for stock market. So I I expect maybe, you know, a slight decline also baked in, in in 2023, depending on how the landing of the economy is going to turn out. 
But again, you know, you know, some people or me may argue that, oh, you know, the market is already making that correction. But I believe that there might be some room for, you know, the stock market to 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 decline a little bit, but not as the way that we see it in 2022. I would just jump in with a little bit of perspective on when we when we think about the stock market, it's important to remember that only about 55% of households have an ownership interest in stocks. And, and credit union members are broadly reflective of consumers generally. So, you know, not everybody has an ownership interest. Not everybody will be affected by stock market swings. And, and I think that's one important thing to keep in mind. Also, amongst those that do have an ownership interest, it's it's pretty lumpy. Wealthy people have the biggest ownership interest by far, variously measured. And so for average households, it tends not to be that big of a deal. But I, I, I agree with what I think I heard Dawid say. The stock market remains overvalued. Uh, there's a couple of different ways to measure current valuations. And I think most of them are continuing to show that it is overvalued. And, and so that suggests to me that, you know, I mean, it's been pretty volatile. It's moved around a lot and it's come down a lot, as, as Dawid mentioned. Don't, don't I don't expect that to change very much as you know we progress through 2023. There there is likely to be more volatility, and it won't surprise me if overall valuations come down a bit more from, from current readings. But again, that's the direct effect on households isn't huge. It it is more of like I think what you were saying, Brock, uh, a minute ago. It's it's almost like you know when you pass a gas station and you see the price of gas, you notice what that price is and you know what it was a week or a month ago. So, you know, it really does have an effect sort of on your psyche. It gives you, there's a really obvious, almost daily reading of of where an important segment of the economy is going. And and people get that on the on the nightly news too, right? They see, you know, on the nightly news, the, the stock market performance is reported and whether they have an ownership interest or not, those numbers, when they hear them, have, and especially like directionally, if they say, oh, the stock market dropped 3% or whatever, that information is processed by people even that, that, that don't even have an ownership interest. And it does affect their psyche. It does affect their impression of where the economies are going and whether or not they should be worried about the future and perhaps whether or not they should be worried about their jobs. So I, I do think I'm not trying to dismiss it as as something that's uh, important or not, but it thankfully won't affect our our members as much as as you might expect. I guess is the point. No, that's a good point. It's kind of the factor that people see, but that's why it's good talking to all of you and getting some of those other numbers too that aren't necessarily readily available. You're all looking at all this every day. So, is there anything else you want to add? or anything you have your eyes on that you want to talk about before we sign off? I'll add just a couple of points. Yeah. You know, we talked a little bit about loan growth and we think that loan growth is slowing. We also think in 2023 that savings growth is going to increase relative to the growth that we experienced last year. And so what that means is that, uh, you know, more than likely some of the liquidity concerns that we saw in 2022 will be easing as we look forward. That's probably good news in the scheme of things, especially for larger institutions that saw loan to share ratios increase pretty dramatically over the course of the last 12 months or so. We feel like liquidity 
is going to be a less of an issue in 2023. From an asset quality perspective, we're, we've seen modest increases in both delinquencies and net charge-off rates recently. We expect further increases going forward as the economy slows, but we remain pretty confident that those increases will be, again, modest in the scheme of things. The good news, if there is a slowdown, we're entering that slowdown with credit union asset quality near all-time highs. Delinquencies and net charge-offs near all-time lows. So yes, we'll see some deterioration there if our baseline forecast is correct, but it's a sort of a movement toward average levels rather than an increase of, of any particular concern. We're worried about the bottom lines generally. We see a lot of stress on credit union bottom lines this year, not only because loans will be slowing down, but also because, you know, we're not going to experience the kind of gains on sales that we saw on secondary mortgage sales, for one thing, and, you know, operating expense ratios will be drifting up, have been, and will be continuing to drift up, especially with the with the strong wage gains that we mentioned, right? Because after all, half of credit union operating expenses are related to people. So there will be that bottom line pressure. But in the scheme of things, we expect ROA to come in at a pretty healthy level, 60-ish or so basis points this year. That's probably about down 15 basis points or so from what credit unions will ultimately report for 2022. But it's still a pretty heavy level of earnings. And that's good news because that means that net worth to asset ratios should be you know, pretty solid over the course of the next year, even if there is a downturn. In fact, we're forecasting at the moment that net worth ratios will finish 2022 at just a hair under 10.5%, and then we'll finish 2023 a hair above 10.5%. So I think that's pretty good news in the scheme of things from an operational perspective. Thanks for listening to the CUNA News Podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher Radio. 